As we know, this is one of the most exciting times to get into real estate. It's also a very nerve wracking time. Should I get into real estate? And those are the kind of the questions I'm going to ask for all those first time buyers out there. What a first time buyer wants to do and what they're trying to do is get into the market for the first time. And they delay that process for many reasons. Uh, some are good, some are not so good, but let's go through those. In today's episode, we're going to focus on first-time buyers. Now, first-time buyers are out in droves right now. It's amazing when we're holding our open houses and we're doing showings and we're following up with our agents uh, who showed the house, including our own agents, our team of 50 agents who are on the Hans team. What we're seeing right now is an enormous amount of first-time buyers coming out into the market. And a lot of questions are happening is why is that happening? Also, a lot of questions is, are they able to get into the market and how are they able to get into the market? Um, so let's discuss all those things, especially if you're a first time buyer and, you know, what are the steps? What's stopping you? What's driving you to get into the market? What's stopping you from getting into the market? And, and you know, any other questions you might have, you can just post them into the comments below and I'll definitely get back to you and I'll answer them for you. As we know, this is one of the most exciting times to get into into real estate. It's also a very nerve wracking time. Should I get into real estate? And those are the kind of the questions I'm going to ask for all those first time buyers out there, especially in the GTA. But across Canada right now, we're probably seeing this phenomenon going on again. Now, a lot of people are where are all these first time buyers coming from? First of all, there's a huge buildup all the way from 2017. And you have to realize in 17, 18, 19, almost into 20, there was a four-year buildup of first-time buyers. They halted the buying process. They were nervous. First-time buyers do not buy in down markets. First-time buyers don't want to put their, you know, their five or 10% down and, and then see the market drop and then lose that equity. It's the scariest thing for first-time buyers. They don't want to do that. Uh, and so they waited and waited and waited. And we saw this huge amount of first-time buyers re-enter the market in January, February of 2020. So what happened, though, is obviously in March, we got hit with COVID. So now the first-time buyers put themselves on hold again. They didn't disappear. And a lot of people think, oh, first-time buyers show up. They don't show up. Uh, you know, they're in the market. They're out of the market. First-time buyers never leave the market. What a first-time buyer wants to do and what they're trying to do is get into the market for the first time. And they delay that process for many reasons. Uh, some are good, some are not so good, but let's go through those. So to finish that off in 2020, COVID kicked in. Obviously that's going to halt the all first time buyers again. So now we have a buildup from 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. And now we're heading into 2022. We start to see the opening of COVID and we're starting to see that market rebound. But what happened? Interest rates went through the roof to hold off first time buyers again. So now not only did they have to increase their income, but they or increase their down payment to bring down the monthly on the mortgage so they can get qualified. So all this has created this massive tidal wave of first time buyers. And now as they feel more comfortable that inflation is under control. Here in Canada, we've dropped down to 4.2% inflation. 
Inflation's fully under control. It's going to continue to drop down as you've watched some of my prior videos down to about 2% in the 2% range by the middle of this year with an outside chance of it dropping under 2% as they went really, really strong and really fast, a record-breaking increase in, in interest rate hikes uh, due to inflation to get it under control as quickly as they did, which was a phenomenal job that the bank did. Even though it hurts, it was the right thing to do, and they did a phenomenal job because our inflation now is the, one of the lowest in the world, and we've got it fully under control, and, and we're going to be into that 2% range shortly, which is where the Bank of Canada wants it and where we need it. And there's an outside chance because they did so much so fast as we wait to see the trickle effect that it might drop under 2%, at which point it will give the Bank of Canada as we've seen and heard that recession headlines are kicking in for the second half of the year, the opportunity to reduce interest rates. And if that happens in the second half of the year, wow, watch out because if you think the real estate market's hot now, it's going to boom if interest rates drop. So those are some of the things that you got to pay attention to. And, and the reality is to motivate you as a first-time buyer to help you get into the market, I'm looking at it from this standpoint. If you're hesitating, for me, hesitation always costs someone money. It always costs them a house. It always costs them, you know, okay, now I got to pay an extra twenty dollars or $30,000 once that same or similar house pops back up on the market. So if you find that perfect house, don't hesitate. Just jump in. If you have the ability, you have the down payment, you have the mortgage in place, and you found that perfect house, jump in as quickly as you can. You're going to run into multiple offers in this market, and we're looking anywhere from 5, 10, 15, in upwards of 30 offers in some cases. That's what we're seeing right now with our offer presentations. We just did four on Monday, and we sold all of them. It was a phenomenal multiple offer day. Uh, it feels a little bit more like what was happening in 2022 in the in the spring market of 2022, also the spring market of 2020 before COVID, also back in 2017. So the question now is, are we in a peak market? My agents are, are we in a peak market, Hans? Can we start saying this is a peak market? And very important for you to know as a first-time buyer or someone trying to buy into the market as an investor as well, is this a peak market? I would say no. Why did I say that? Well, detached houses, if you take the average price of detached houses into consideration, and that's going to be looking back to 2022 prices, mainly February, which was considered our highest price, February, March, early March, you're looking at, you know, it was ranging around 1.6. And even with the quick rebound in the detached homes for certain areas, and what, what, what I'm considering right now is just looking at new market, for example, there's still a $300,000 gap. We're only sitting at 1.3 instead of 1.6 for a detached home up here in the north area. Other areas, we have seen that downtown core start to rebound strong. Uh, I think there was a major, major jump in March in, in the price, uh, almost jumped $300,000 in value month over month on the average price of detached homes uh, coming out of Treb. And so we are really seeing that rebound kick fully in, but it's not, it's still quite a ways off, 10%, 20% actually off of where the peak of 2022 in February for detached homes. So that being said, there is still that gap that you can be, get ahead of if you're looking to get into the detached towns. 
When you're looking at townhouses and looking at semi-detaches and condos, they never dropped as much as obviously a detached home has. Their affordability, the size of their mortgage is not as big, and the demand from first-time buyers sort of held that drop. But we saw townhouses start to drop in in the York region, where you know, in like in Oak Ridges, Richmond Hill, Vaughan area, we're going under a million dollars. Start to hit the eight, nine hundred thousand dollars. Those ones have quickly rebounded and are back to one point one. So this is where they were sitting at. I mean, if you look at the peak of 2022, so we were looking at about 1.2, 1.3 for a townhouse. Obviously, the larger townhouses and semis are now approaching 1.4. This will start to drive the detached market. And usually it's it starts in May is where we see the larger double car garage, 2,500 square foot home detached homes start to rise up in price. So we're going to see that and it happens fast. And that's one of the problems that occurs with real estate for first-time buyers is it just seems to happen so fast in just in december you know you can could have gotten into a townhouse and we were advising everyone on our team that now's the time to buy right this is a buyer's market we bottomed out was exactly what i was saying in november uh, you know the end of october november i said we're at the bottom of the market we've bottomed out if you have buyers get them into the market let them know by spring market, you'll be up 10 to 15% off these prices and magically it's appeared and that's exactly what's happening and what has happened. So that being said, you know, I've been called, uh, you know, my team likes to call me the Oracle. So <laughs> that being said, what's going to happen in the future of the market and should I still get in? Well, your first step uh, to determine what you should be able to get into and what you should be doing is your down payment. If you have a 10 or 20% down payment, you should be able to get yourself into the market. Now you're going, Hey, Hans, I got a hundred thousand dollars or I got $200,000. Where should I get into? Well, the first step is obviously looking at the a freehold house or a condo uh, that you can get into, into an area that you would prefer to be in. That's your first step, right? The type of house that you want to get into and the area you want to get into. But the reality is for first time buyers, nobody got into the market, you know, in the perfect penthouse overlooking the lake on uh, one young street downtown on uh, one of the core buildings downtown and a brand new amenity. This is just not how it works uh, to get into real estate. I mean, you have to make some sacrifices to the type of house you want. I mean, I bought a house that my first house, even though I was lucky enough, was not you know, it was further north than I wanted it to be. It needed renovations. It needed paint. I mean, it was purple paint, dark, dark uh, curtains. Uh, the, the bathroom had a carpet in it, which I don't understand it because it was an agent selling their house. It really didn't make any sense. Uh, and there was a carpet underneath was tile, but you, know, you really don't want a carpet in the bathroom. <laughs> That's just a little nasty if you ask me so but i realized i didn't see it as nasty i was buying a house and i was like wow i can't believe this house this square footage of a house showed up in this area at this price range and i went and saw the house and i and it just popped up onto my radar because i put on a certain search criteria at that time and and anything under i would i would look at and i was like wow and so i ended up buying that house but you're wondering like, how did i buy i mean i was literally living in a basement apartment 
I couldn't even afford $800 a month of rent. I was supposed to be paying him $900. I told him, hey, give me a few months and I'll get to $900. Let's start at $800. And those few months went by and I think it, it turned into six months. And he goes, okay, it's $900. I go, I just can't do it. I actually literally had to go out, win a ProLine ticket. And if anyone knows what a ProLine is, where you we go to the convenience store, you pick three, four, five teams and they all have to win. And you get X amount times of whatever your investment is. And at the time, I was sort of living off of a two-for-one pizza. And it's not a two-for-one pizza commercial because I had one slice of pizza for lunch and one slice of pizza for dinner. And that's sort of what I was living at in this $800 a month basement. And I and I and what happened was I was deciding, am I going to use my 20 bucks for food for the next few days? Or am I going to uh, play the pro-line ticket? Obviously, you can see there was a bit of a gambling issue going on there, even on a small level, and I'm wasting my time on small things like that. And so I wasn't going to play the ticket. I said, ah, I'm not going to play. I got this big boom sign. Some, some One of the kids upstairs dropped something just as I thought this and said, you know what, forget it. I took it as a sign. I ran outside, and I went out and um, played this pro-line ticket, a five-team pro-line ticket. I watched hockey all the way was I was really playing on hockey. I really knew all the players and everything that was going on. I watched hockey to two o'clock, one o'clock in the morning. The last game ended, and I won. I won sixteen hundred bucks, and I was like, "Wow!" I woke up in the morning happy that I got the sixteen hundred bucks, paid my rent out of it. So there went you know eight hundred dollars. I eight hundred dollars left, and I said to myself, "Hans, you're doing something wrong." From there, I made a bunch of changes. It was just a trigger for me. It made a bunch of changes, how I was thinking, the actions I was taking, everything I was doing across the board. I cut the electrical power cord. Obviously, I unplugged it first, but I cut the to my TV because it was just killing me. I can't believe I can't stop. I couldn't stop myself from watching sports uh, and hockey, which was just killing my time. And you'll see in some of these other podcasts of how much that can cost someone. It's incredible. And I started just studying it and something popped up. I must have popped up on YouTube or somewhere that I was just researching all of a sudden on Google and something popped up and what popped up was this guy saying you know if you want to become a doctor you you, you study uh, medicine if you want to become a lawyer you study law if you want to become successful well you should study success and I go to myself well that just makes sense that just makes sense. So I started listening more and more to success-oriented tapes to be able to help me. And I kid you not, six months after that date that I won that ProLine ticket and made that mental change and changed my thought process, I bought my first house. And that first house was a five-bedroom, 2,650-square-foot home, pie lot backing onto green space with a basement apartment. And I bought it. And you're wondering, well, how did you do that, Hans? Well, first... <laughs> Well, first, I had to get a partner. And uh, I was seeing someone at the time, and the, their dad wanted to make an investment in real estate. So I brought them to this house. The, initially, they said, no, there's no way. I got to go. You got to see. It's so undervalued. Uh, the value of this house is worth at least fifty dollars to $100,000 more than what, what it's at. It just needs a little touch-ups here and there. He's like, wow, who's going to do it all? I said, I'll do it. I'll do it all. Don't worry. I'll take care of it. It's such a deal, such a great location. I'll rent out the basement and I'll move in. I'll pay out the rent up top. Um, and so they said, they, they thought about it. Uh, we, we negotiated some terms. Uh, one of the terms was that my brother would agree to also move in because I guess he considered him more stable because he had a great stable position at a great company. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and, and we 
I bought my first house. Uh, my brother moved in. Uh, he was paying a little bit of uh, rent. Uh, and uh, at the basement, I rented out as well. And that's how I actually bought my first house. Now, to make the story more interesting quickly, within the next year, they wanted out. He said, forget it. I just want out. I said, you know, you can't do it. It doesn't work like that. You have to wait three years to five years to get your money back because the, the value of homes, you know, was going up an average of about 6%, 7% back then. He goes, no, I just want to get out. And I just started ignoring him. He sent me lawyer letters. I started negotiating with the lawyer and I did this incredible. So now I'm 50%. It was my first time buyer, but I'm 50% owner. So I negotiated this incredible deal. And what I did was I said, listen, no problem. You want out. You just want your money out. So I tell you what, I'll buy the house back for what we bought it for plus costs, right? I was a real estate agent. So I said, you're going to, I'm going to sell the house. So I get commission. And, and on top of it, I'm going to do renovations on my own. Uh, I'll do renovations and anything above that value. Cause you don't want to do anything to this house. You don't want to invest any more dollars above that. I keep, and they agreed. We signed off on legal papers and, and whatnot. So what happened was I took the whole two, three months off. I built a deck. I did the washrooms. I painted the house. I, I put in new flooring. I put in new things. I pretty much did almost everything myself or got some help from people uh, that were really inexpensive and could do the job well enough to get the house in a much better condition. And I improved the house drastically at a, at a budget of a budget, which was incredible. And so what happened was Instead of the house being worth just slightly over what we bought it or around what we bought it, I jumped the value of the home by 20%. Believe it or not, by 20%, I jumped the value of the home. So when I put the house onto the market, I put it at a house that was 20% higher. And, and the point, my partner at the time goes, yeah, there's no way. There's no way he's going to get that. So they didn't care. I put it up and I waited two, three days. And I placed an offer myself because there was nothing in the agreement that said I couldn't purchase the house. And I said to the lawyer, I go, I'm placing this offer. He either accepts this offer or he's going to get a hit with a lawsuit for anything under this value, just so you're aware. So if, if we end up selling for $50,000 less than my offer, he's going to have to pay that difference. And so he took that back to as a client. And I'll tell you what the lawyer said, because we were negotiating back and forth for six months. And I have the whole email string back and forth, which is incredible. The lawyer goes, Hans, I don't know how you weaseled your way into owning this home, but they accepted your offer. And so, <laughs> and so that's how I fully or bought my first house. I bought half of it. I went to lawsuit for the second half. Not that I'm saying anybody would want to go through this. I battled it out. And I bought out my partner from the second half to continue on with this story a little bit, how incredible it turned out to be. Then I had to, I went to one of the banks and I'm not going to say who the bank is because they really turned into one of the great banks that I really like to use. Uh, but uh, when they found out, I, I got approved, but then when they found out the approval was coming from the equity of the home, they said, we don't do that. Unfortunately, Scotia which, well, I'll tell you who it is, Scotia, decided to say, hey, we don't do that. And I found that out five weeks before. So I had to go to Home Trust, which instead of getting a reasonable rate, all of a sudden, I got hit with this incredible rate that was much higher than it, what I expected it to be on a B lender from Home Trust because they only needed at the time 15% equity uh, and good credit rating, which I had. And they really didn't bother too much with income because uh, the market was still in a, in a full 
good looking upswing and they said, okay, go ahead. But my interest rates was so much higher that created my payments to be so much higher. So now here I have a five bedroom house and I'm getting overwhelmed by the payments. So what I do is I rent out every room. So I put out these ads for rooms and <laughs> I put out these ads for rooms and unbelievably enough, there was a dental hygienist school within walking distance of my house that was just opening up. So all of a sudden, I had four student dental hygienists saying, hey, we'll take a room, we'll take a room, we'll take a room. Plus my brother was there. And so they all moved into the house. I moved two more people into the basement uh, as rooms as well. And all of a sudden, it, it, it just like this, even though I had the higher interest rates, even though I wasn't making the income to afford this house anymore, all of a sudden I was mortgage free. And what does that mean? Mortgage free. I wasn't paying the mortgage anymore. I was actually making money off the house. It was incredible. Uh, so again, so this is why I would say for some people, and I know this is an incredible mind blowing story and I don't expect people to go through this. This is just what the universe tends to put me through the first time I do anything. So <laughs> it's exciting to share. And I like to share the story because this is just the kind of things that I get put through. And I'm sure you guys get put through things too. But you know, it, it made me who I am today. If I didn't have that house, I don't think I'd be sitting here in real estate because it just made me fight for everything I have in real estate. So I didn't lose that house, especially in the first two, three years when I felt down, when I felt blue, you know, there was a mortgage payment coming up and I would say, you know, I'm, you know, I, I'm not going to, there's nothing that I'm not going to do uh, to keep this house. Uh, it, it just, it's incredible. The attachment you get to it and, and, and the desire you have to keep it and the things you'll do for it. So really I, I pulled that off and, and that's what I did. I rented out the rooms. I was making more money than, than what the mortgage was now costing me and the property tax was costing me. I was like, wow, how did that just happen? I'm pract I'm pretty much living mortgage free. So that being said, I uh, got onto a bit of roll. Obviously, as you de-stress because of your financials de-stress, I was able to then move on and continue to have a successful real estate career as it grown. And, and I went out and from the money I was getting from my basement, I convinced myself to go out and buy my first brand new car because my other car was a 20-year-old Audi, which I had broken down. And then I bought a, a Cadillac DeVille, which was also a 10-year-old car that looks something from the mobster uh, that I used as well for a few years in the real estate business. And then I ended up getting into a brand new 370Z that in essence, the way I looked at it to make myself feel comfortable with this new bill coming in is that it was coming from the rent the renters were paying for in the basement so where does all this come from first time buying well that was my first time buyer story so i thought i would share it with you and what it does is, is it sort of shows how a house can turn into a bit of a magic for you not only is it the foundation of getting loans uh, for my business to help my real estate business grow getting my credit card pushing that up to a hundred thousand it also built my credit rating with scotia and and the banks have independent credit rating so if you have a lot of credit and you're doing a great job of paying that credit it really they have an internal credit rating which was mine was triple a for them uh, they called it something else but i was told it was triple a so they ended up giving me over over the years three more mortgages so i had four houses how i got the last one which was a chalet was mind-boggling but you know they were so happy with me and and, and I was doing so well and I was helping them send business and I was working with their mortgage specialist. It was absolutely fantastic. So Scotia Bank, I would, uh, in this opportunity, I'd like to say again, thank you for just helping me get from A to B to C to D to E in essence and getting my first four properties 
And they told me once you get your fifth, anything on the fifth, then you have to move it more to a commercial uh, portfolio. I said, okay, no worries. So now down payment for this house, where did it come from? A partner. So I really got, I put some down payment, but I wouldn't have gotten approved for the mortgage. Uh, so they, they got the approval on the mortgage, which got a really good interest rate because they had great, great credit and great income. I put the my part of the down payment down, and we only put uh, 10% down because I was a first-town buyer. So it, really, the down payment was ridiculous when you split it because it's only five and five with the partner. So I only needed 5% down. I didn't have to qualify for the mortgage, and uh, I was on title as well as a 50% partner, but they basically qualified based on his income and some of my income as well. And And... And from there, so you can see how partnerships really can help. So if you have a family member, a brother, a cousin who wants to buy an investment property, maybe they don't even have the full amount because you have to put 20% down. You being a first-time buyer means you only have to put 10% down. That means they can only put 5% down, but maybe they have a good job, right? Maybe they own a house, they have a good job, they got good credit. That combined of them only having to put down 5%, you only having to put down 5%, you promising to pay all the monthly mortgages and take all that stress away from them of dealing with tenants, you're going to deal with all that, including fixing up the house and increasing the value and taking care of the house. It's going to make a huge difference. So that's how I would pitch it to some of your friends and family out there. And I hope that really helps some of you guys wondering, how am I going to pull this off? That's how I pulled it off. Then don't hesitate to rent your basement. The rents that are coming in from basements right now are incredible. 1500 to 2000 is almost a given. And we're starting to see the $2,000 month mark you know, increase. So renting your basement the way I've always said it, my first two houses that I lived in, I rented out my basements. Renting your basement is literally free money. It is free, free money. So you really want to take that money And you put that towards your mortgage and you're like, wow, now my mortgage just sort of got cut down by almost half the mortgage expenses or it pays for the property taxes or pays for the utilities or whatever it is. And it's just relieved some of that stress. So what we always say for our first time buyers, is we will pick out the basement for them, the tenant for them, because we don't, we know exactly how to pick out the right tenant. I've been an investor and and a real estate owner now for almost 20 years. And it's done incredibly well by using a a very, very basic system um, on how to pick out tenants. So I would definitely be willing to help you out that if you have any questions, or you really want to know that or you're thinking about that, you know, what are some of the criteria, just go ahead, ask me, and I'll be happy to answer that for you. Moving along, once you have your base, you have the house that you want, you got your basement rented out, you got your partner, you know, you should have a plan as to where you get into your own house or you purchase your 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 own house. So some of these plans that you're going to have, or how do I get myself from a partner shared house, and I'm just showing you put the picture together into my own house. Well, the real estate market right now, in my eyes, are, is going to jump over the next two years. So from this right now, this market to next market, we're going to see a 10% jump. There's no if, but, or what. Most likely 15% looks like it's in play. And if they reduce interest rates, you're going to be seeing a 20% jump in the value, which will bring us back to the 2022, uh, 2022 um, February peak prices. Now, here we are at peak price 
one year later, you bought now, let's say we, you just jumped into the market. You said, Hans, that was great information. I've been needing to hear something like this. And now I heard it and, and I'm not going to hesitate. I'm going to buy. Um, and you jump into the market. Just make sure you're using a knowledgeable real estate agent, not someone you're just being friends with for the sake of being friendly, because that can make a difference of $100,000 to $200,000 on the value of your home. Picking the right house in the right area with the right negotiations, we're not talking about a few thousand dollars anymore. Um, we're talking about a hundred to 200,000. We just had one of our uh, team members buy their first house, He's a young gun in his 20s, just bought his first house, and, and he placed an offer, and I said, you got to just jump on it. He didn't even get to see this house because this guy put the house so low that we knew it's going to go into multiple offers right away. It did go into multiple offers. He put a higher price offer on the other one. The other guy said, I'm just presenting right now. I told him, just put in your offer. We had to e-transfer over some of the deposit because he wanted it now. The other guy had already wired his deposit in. Uh, and uh, and at the end of the day, I, I, told, I told my team member, I go, listen, if I put this house on the market right now and do my offer presentation system, I believe we'll see, probably see so many buyers show up and already buyers were showing up in one day, three offers that this house is going to sell for $200,000 more, which was more than enough. So even if he just wants to buy it and then he said, you know what, this, I made a mistake. And within a year, he's going to sell it for a quarter million dollars more. There's no if, but, or what it probably in a month, he could probably sell it for $200,000, $150,000 more and, and walk out with that. And some people would be like, wow, it is. Wow. It is. Wow. And that's why you need to get advice from a real estate agent who knows the market. I've been through four ups and downs in this market. I've been in business for 20 years, sold over 3,000 homes, $2.5 billion worth of real estate, and I advise a team of 50 agents. And a lot of people, all the buyers and all, all our clients come to me and go, Hans, what does Hans think? And so that's what I think right now about the market. If you're buying, get in. If you're a first time buyer, get in. The market's gonna continue to go upwards. And, and for me, it's going to happen for at least two more years of a strong, strong up, uptrend before it starts to settle in a little bit more and just go back into single digit increases, which is fair enough for everybody. But there's still a lot of growth in the real estate market. And you're probably wondering, where's that growth coming from? Well, we have a massive, like I said before, massive buildup of first time buyers. We have a massive buildup of investors that still want to get into this market. Um, and we also have a lot of immigration coming in with PR cards that have built up as well. So now from the 2020 uh, COVID for the last two years, obviously from the pandemic, it's also built up a lot of people that have been trying to get into the country that are now getting into the country, you know, to hopefully connect with their loved ones and they're going to need a place to stay. And so we're letting in from what I'm hearing, 400,000 people into Canada on a yearly basis right now just to catch up with everything. So that's also going to push up our demand. So now that you understand some of the steps that you could take, even if it looks difficult, it's not impossible. You heard my story and I wouldn't be sitting here today talking to you guys, having owning the amount of real estate I have, having the success I have, if I didn't put myself into that position to buy that first house. It was an intense and exciting, but also an intense nerve wracking 
biting my nails scenario of dealing with the new feelings that have to go through of having a mortgage, having a property, but also that intensity that I had of owning a house and the feeling I had of owning a house. And yeah, it goes up and down, but it's no difference of, of the feeling you have when you have to pay your rent. It's no difference that you're going to have, oh, hey, I got rent coming up. You're either going to pay it or you're not going to pay it. But the attachment you have to the mortgage is incredible because it's your house, it's your asset. You can see it go up in value. It will go up in value. And believe it or not, whatever the prices are today, from 10, 15 to maximum, maximum 20 years from now, but I would say based on the what we're doing, what's happening right now and the demand for the GTA, especially if you're buying in the GTA, it's gonna double in 10 to 12 years. I mean, it's been doubling 12 to 13, 14 years for the past 80 years. So it's going to double again. There's nothing slowing it down. You're wondering, how is this possible? How is it possible? Well, I'll tell you how it's possible. Population is booming. Land is limited. It's just a limited supply. You don't increase land. You can't just make land. So land is limited. Population is booming. The government's printing and has printed a ginormous amount of money over the last two years. And when we saw that happen last time, we saw what happened uh, to the real in 2008-9, right? I was screaming at her, get into real estate in 10, 11, 12, buy as much real estate as you can, uh, and 13. And then what you saw is happening in 14, 15, 16, you saw that huge influx because the reality is everything trickles down to real estate. The money gets pumped out by the government or printed by the government, however you want to call it. It gets out into people's hands. It creates the economy. It drives this energy wheel like crazy. Everyone's out working full speed ahead, um, passing money from here to there, here to there. It trickles its way down into investments. That investments, at some point, people sell those investments and buy real estate because it's actually, I like to say, it's the only thing that's real. It has the name real estate in it. It's the only thing that's real. So all money eventually trickles into real estate and the amount of money they just printed over the last two years, even though they're trying to pull as much of that back in with the higher interest rates, it's not enough because they printed out so much and handed out so much money to everybody that it's all going to trickle down long-term over real estate. As the slowdown starts to kick into in the, in the economy and things come under control, boom, you're going to see the real estate continue to push upwards. And I'm saying most likely the value of homes are going to double over the next eight to 10 years. And especially with the increase in, in the, uh, the minimum wages, the increase in, in what, you know, young guns are coming out of school, university, you know, they're, they're asking for 80, 100,000, $120,000 jobs, and they're getting it, especially in the tech field. So we're going to see continue to see that boom. We're going to continue to see that push, and that's going to continue to push the real estate market. So you got your down payment. You got your partner to help down payments. So you only have to come up with 5% down. You're over, hopefully, we helped you overcome some of that fear that you have of what's going to happen in the future of the market and why you should get in. Um, and, you know, a lot of people, also, if you're investing, I, I like to tell them, invest. It, you, you should don't put, don't put your monthly into RRSPs, into stocks. All businesses go bankrupt. Stock market tends to lead to gambling because you get, you know, if you have a good year and you're making this money, you try and put more and more and more. In it. But at some point, the stock markets take a big hit and you get, you, you might over leverage yourself. I'm sure a lot of you listening to this understand where I'm coming from. I had my stockbroker's license when I was 18. You over leverage yourself and, and then all of a sudden the, the bank starts selling your stock 
automatically you wake up in the morning hey what would you do they we sold it you you, you have you got you got triggered <laughs> and all of a sudden you're selling your stock real estate is a lot harder to do now you go back to refinance with the bank they refinance you as long as you have been paying them uh, you know properly on time there's no questions asked there's nobody coming in to force you just because the interest rates moved right the interest rates move or the value of the house moves no one's coming to your house and saying hey we're taking that house now and putting it on the market and throwing you out just doesn't happen the value of that house is going to consistently go up six to seven percent average compounded over the next i don't know, probably another hundred years who knows so at six to seven percent, you have to understand on a million dollars, seven percent is seventy thousand. Well, let's make it easy. Ten percent on a hundred thousand out a million dollars is a hundred thousand, and that keeps getting compounded year over year over year. So you can see how ten percent compound for ten years is going to be well over two million dollars. And that's just what happens in the real estate market. And that's what's been happening for so long, especially in the GTA. I'm not saying anywhere. It doesn't work anywhere. If you're buying in an area that's reliant on, for example, a mine or a car companies, and that area is highly, highly, highly reliant on that factory or that mine, and that mine or factory shuts down, your real estate will be shot. So you have to be aware of that and be careful of that as well. And also, you know, which area you pick is also going to be very, very important to when it comes to renting and, and how you rent out your house. So the reason why I've stuck to what's called the young corridor is because obviously it's always going to be the highest in demand. It always has transit. You're going to see the increase of buildings increase the land value of that and that's why i like to get into houses because you own land and if you haven't gotten to that phase yet quickly try and move yourself into as big as house as possible the other reason why you need to get into real estate uh, as big as as into detached homes or as big as real estate as possible most value as it's tax-free when you sell it as a primary residence they don't tax you and it's the only thing in the government doesn't tax thank god and so when you sell it that whole profit goes to you. The government doesn't come in and take 25% of it, which is 50% capital gains right now. They will do that, they will do that in an investment property, but it's still a good deal. It's a win-win in that case. So I would definitely suggest buying as much real estate, even if an investment property as possible. But from your principal residence, you want to move to as big as principal as you can. When I move up, how do I move? Then so I moved out and I got my second house. And how did I do that? Well, because the value in just a short period of time, let's say you, I bought with a partner, I put 5% down, they put 5% down. I've been paying all the all the, the rent and all the mortgages for it. So the rent that equaled the mortgage payment. Uh, and now, you know, it's two years later, the value of the property has gone up 20%. So now when I go and get an estimate of that property, the bank now says, well, this house, because it has 20% equity, and you, that can happen in a year, but I'm just using two years as a proper plan, is now 20% equity. We can classify this house as an investment property. So what do I do? I keep this house, right? And hopefully there's some more money into it. Over the last two years, I've been saving up as much as I possibly can, uh, not to pay off the house, but to save up for my next house. And guess what? When I go out and buy my next house, because it's a primary residence, I only have to put 10% down again. So I go out and I go out and buy another house with 10% down, Maybe I moved north. Obviously, you got to move north because the only way you can you can get a house with under a million dollars is by moving north. And I moved north and I put my next 10% down. And, and from there, I owned a second house. First house became a rental. It was making enough money to carry itself and plus make enough money to obviously cover some extra expenses, which was fantastic. It covered my car. 
uh, from the rental. So it paid for itself and covered my car and the value went up a lot. I was able to refinance that house, take some of that house. I actually got that house refinanced with Scotia, take some of that money and put it down on my next house, which I only needed 10% to do. And that's how you move up in real estate. And that's how you continue to acquire real estate. It's the only way you can do it. And, and for simple people like myself, and I come from a basement apartment, I have standard education, um, out well, what's considered standard education. It's not even a university degree. Uh, I really just studied and studied and studied and studied. And thank God, you know, online internet came along to help give us all this knowledge that we're able to focus on. I mean, I did have my uh, stockbroker's license. I did get a job down at the uh, Bay Street, but I declined it, which just put me into a whirlwind. So I've gone through all of these things. And just like everybody else is going through in life. But I found real estate to be the most stabilizing thing uh, in the world. And if you want to get out of the gutter, get yourself into as much real estate as possible. The way that works is it just keeps increasing in value. Whatever you buy it for today, in 10 years, it will double. Um, and it'll set you free at some point because if it doubles in 10 years and in 20 years, it, it'll quadruple in essence is what's going to happen to the values. Buy something for a million and in 20 years you pay it off and it's worth 4 million and hopefully you accumulated a few more pieces of, of real estate as you go along, understanding just how much return you're getting. And it's the safest investment in the world. The banks have like 80, 90% of their money tied up into the, into the real estate, into mortgages. It's supported by the government you know, most of the time. And it's the easiest thing to maintain. I knew when I was playing the stock market game, I watched, oh, what, is it raining today? Oh my God, how's that going to affect the stocks? <laughs> did, 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 was there some announcement today? Oh my God, how's that going to affect? I was, my head was spinning with so much information that I couldn't do anything else. All I did was sit there and watch stocks. And eventually even I being, you know, as educated in the, in, in the stock market world and trading since 14, lost money. At some point I just closed them all down, took my money out and just put it straight into real estate. And it's been the most satisfying, stress-free thing I've ever done. This is probably the most stressful thing, seeing the interest rates hike. I did advise people that, you know, to lock in when the rate rates were at 2, 2.5%. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't do it myself. I got I was so busy dealing with clients because in a hot market, I'm basically under a 18 hour a day schedule being bombarded by questions left, right, and center. And so I didn't get, I usually don't get a chance to sell my investment properties, even though I, I, I'm telling people when it's the peak and I don't, I didn't lock into my variable rate and, and, you know, we got triggered and I didn't lock my variable rate, which I could have, but I decided to keep on. And now it's, you know, obviously the increase is going to put pressure on anybody. No one likes to feel extra burden, especially when it comes to mortgage payments. That's like your rent jacking up uh, X amount uh, you know, that's not even legal, but uh, when it comes to rent, but obviously you can do that in mortgages and that's some of the risk to the investment. But uh, first time buyers to give yourself peace of mind, I would recommend locking into a five year fixed or a three year fixed just to get that first comfortable level. Also remember the first six months of owning a house will be one of your st most stressful events because you're not used to it. You're scared that what if I can't make it? What did I get myself into? Know that you will pay that mortgage one way or another. And the easiest way to do that is let's say you're going to buy a house and let's say you have 20% down. Don't put the 20% down. Unless you're hundred percent, you have no worries. You're good financially. You're one of those super stable guys. You have a super stable job. You have super stable income coming in. Every your 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 partner, your wife has super stable coming in. There's no issues there. You just buy the house. You know you the the A equals B. 
one plus one is two. You can cover that. There's no issues. If you're stretching your budget a little bit, which is what people tend to do in real estate, I would suggest putting less money down. Put that into a nice, secure savings account that you don't touch, and that goes for a backup plan to give your peace of mind that you always can look there, especially in the first year of owning a house to get over those feelings of paying a mortgage and owning something, you know, that's a million dollars to paying that. And so when you put that aside, and I remember this great story, I was a pastor and I was selling his house and, uh, and he goes, Hans, I don't know. And it, it, he was selling his house. And he was moving up to a big house because he had three kids or two kids or three kids. And he had another kid coming along a great couple and, uh, and I told him, I go, I told him, I think he said, he go, well, I can put, you know, 35, 30% down or something like 50% down. He just would take all the money from his current house and put it into his next house. I can't remember the exact number, but it was well over 20%. And I looked at him, I go, well, why are you doing that? He goes, no, no. Cause I want to keep the payments a little bit lower, right? I want to keep them lower. And I go, well, okay, I understand that. But if you don't have to do that, I would suggest taking out, you know, putting less money down, 10% less money down, take, keep saving that $100,000 and putting that into us to make yourself feel calm because obviously I can see it's, you know, moving up to a bigger house, getting a bigger mortgage. I mean, it's just as stressful as buying your first house, not as, because now you've gone through the experience of having a mortgage. But what that does was, let's say you couldn't work for the next year. And this here pays for two years of mortgages, believe it or not right? $5,000 a month, you put $100,000 aside. If you want to do 100, maybe you only want to do 50. That's 10 months or 60 would be 12 months. But you put 100 aside, that's practically two years of no mortgage payments, mortgage covered. You just put that aside plus whatever interest rates it was making uh, when you lock it into uh, you know six months just to have it there and know that, okay, if I need it, something happens because this is what we get scared. What if something happens? What if there is a 0.001% chance I lose my job? <laughs> What if that happens when you're buying a million dollar product? That's how we think. <laughs> and so we have to prepare for it. And that's the solution. If you have more than enough down payment, then go ahead and do it. Take some of that money out, especially if you're upsizing and you want to remove. Don't put every single cent unless, again, you're 100% secure. But if you're feeling nervous, you're not 100% sure, then keep a little bit of cash out that covers six months or to a year's of mortgage payments. Put it on the side and just let it be in a secure, safe place that's earning interest. And this way it removes some of that pressure to help you move up to that next step. So those are a lot of the tips that we use uh, for first-time buyers. I'm sure there's a lot more questions out there. I just try to cover the basis of what we're doing to try and help you get from A to B. Uh, that's one of the biggest steps. I really hope this helps you guys. I really just hope this was informative. If it is, I'd love to hear back from you. It really warms my heart if, if I'm able to help a few people out there get into their first house or answer some more questions. Uh, I'd be happy to do that for you guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Stay tuned for our next episode. Click on follow, click on subscribe, and, uh, and we have a lot more of these videos coming out to help people in real estate and help people succeed in real estate. It is one of the most easiest and simplest ways to become a multimillionaire in today's world. And I'll just tell you one thing, just in case uh, you're stuck in the stock market or you're stuck in uh, some kind of Bitcoin or cryptocurrency, so for first-time buyers, you know, also what has to do with the location, another option you have to think about is am I buying my first house for an investment purpose? And so if you decide that you want to buy your first house, 
you can still go ahead and buy it and it can still be converted into an investment property as you can rent it out. And this way you can move, buy a house further up north, use that money coming in and pay rent and live further south if that's what you prefer. So we know a lot of people that do that. They don't live in the house that they actually own. They're actually just renting it. So we know a lot of our clients who decided, you know, it was too far north. Instead of moving into it, they rented it out and, and they had to rent something a little further south. That worked out really well for them. Uh, also removed some of that pressure, but still they own that house, which is a phenomenal thing. So I hope that answers your question. There's a common saying out there since I've been, since I started investing when I was 14 and why I got out of it eventually is 90% of the people lose money on the stock market. They eventually lose money on the stock market. 99% of self-made millionaires to date have done it through real estate. That's all for me. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Have a great day. All right. So we just had a question come in from one of our viewers. Really, it's a fantastic question. It's, uh, you know, it's a young gun who's trying to buy their first house and they're asking, you know, quite a few questions when it comes to how do I buy my first house? What do I have to do? It seems like it's too much. It's too high. Mortgage might be too high. Interest rates are qualifying, etc. This is a self-employed person. So first of all, the good news. <laughs> the good news is Self-employed people who are earning good income can get qualified under certain programs. You need to talk to a mortgage broker and not directly the bank. There are different lenders out there, a lot of lenders out there that are lending under what they call different programs. These programs are basically the qualification that allows self-employed people to get mortgages based on their bank statements showing an influ infl uh, influx of income under a certain period of time. So that's how they calculate the qualification for a lot of people who are self-employed. So this is something that you need to talk to your mortgage broker about uh, to see exactly where you stand. And one of the big things about first-time buyers is they're scared to even do that because they're scared uh, of the pain it's gonna cause. When I go to the mortgage broker, and he says, oh, we can't get you a mortgage. So if you have that fear, just reach out to me. We have the best mortgage brokers in the business. I mean, I like to say our mortgage brokers are so good, uh, they're guaranteed to get you a mortgage. And now, obviously it's gonna come down to your rate, the amount of mortgage you're able to get and what kind of house you can buy with that. So let's say, you know, you get qualified for a mortgage. Let's say it's a 500 or $600,000 mortgage. Now you got to think, okay, well, now I need money down. Where's that money down coming from? Well, we also talked about obviously partnering up first and foremost. So if you're going to go out and buy, let's say an $800,000 house to a million dollar house, and that seems to be the hot price range for first time buyers right now, it's under a million because you can still put 10% down and it keeps the mortgage in an affordable rate, especially if I have a partner or I have a spouse or I have an investor partner, which is what we're recommending if you don't have that right now to, to be able to partner up with. So now 10% down to keep it easy is a million dollars on a million dollar house. Sorry, a 10% down a million dollars can be $100,000. If you can get a partner, then it's $50,000 each, right? So even if you have a, if you're married and you're getting your first time house and you have a partner, a family member that also wants to invest, listen, don't take it all for yourself, split it and be happy about it. That's what I say. 
then they only have to, they don't have to put 20% down to get into their first investment. They only have to put 5% uh, down. All of a sudden, that 100000 they an investor would have to put 200000 to get their first house, a million dollar house. Now they only have to put 5%. And so that's a huge difference for a lot of people to get into the investment world of real estate. Now they only have to put in $50,000. You put in $50,000. They get the mortgage or help you get the qualified for the mortgage. You pay for the mortgage because you're living at the house. And if you want to rent out that basement, that's going to cover those costs. And away we go. So now that being said, how do you save up even that $50,000? I mean, a lot of people are thinking a hundred because they don't want a partner or they don't want to rent the basement or whatever it is. I need to get a hundred thousand dollars. Well, the thing that I did, and, and if you heard the story just prior to uh, how I went from a basement apartment and six months later, I bought my, you know, 2,600, 2,700 square foot, five bedroom, detached home, basement apartment, pie lot backing onto a park. How I did that, I wrote down a goal that that was my goal that I was going to do that this year. And it was the beginning of the year. And by the end of this year, in November, I set the goal in March. And by November, I had bought my first home. If I didn't have that goal, I would never have done it. And what does that mean? Oh, Hans, please don't tell me about goals. <laughs> so let me put it to you like this. Forget the goal if, if you have that thought process. If you don't want it, if I don't want to buy a house, if I didn't say, hey, Hans, Look at myself in the mirror. We got to want something to make more money. I want to buy a house. Well, now I have a reason. If I said, no, I don't want a house, why would I save up to buy a house? See how that works? If I said, no, I, I, you know, I want to continue to rent. Well, a house is not just going to all of a sudden land in your lap. You have to set a goal to buy a house, a house in a specific price range and in a specific amount of time. And when I did that, all of a sudden, I had a reason to go out and put in this extra energy, extra work and extra effort to earn extra income to create the down payment and to find a partner because the goal was to buy my first house, which I did and it happened to be with a partner. And it just worked out that way. And I had my 5% down just in time. And the partner walked away. And I still put the deposit down on it just to prove how serious I was, which ended up being my 5%, which was the amount of money they wanted for the deposit. And based on how serious I was, the partner said, okay, let's move ahead. These are some of the things you got to focus on. But if I never set the goal to buy the house, and instead I said I set a goal to buy a car, I would have bought a car. If I, if I didn't set a goal to buy the house and instead I said I want to go on vacation, I would have gone on vacation. So <laughs> you got to understand, unless you want something, you're, you're not going to get it unless you want it. So whatever it is you want, you have to write it down and say, this is what I want. And when you write it down, I have this little thought process of what happens. It enters your subconscious imaginary mind, which is not the real world. And when you write it down, somehow magically it now enters the real world because it's pen, which is real, writing on a piece of paper. You've taken your thought and taken it from your subconscious and brought it into the real world on a piece of paper and pen. And that's how everything in this world has been built. Houses, businesses, accounting, everything has been built by taking it from your mind and writing it down on a piece of paper. The drawings of the house you're going to buy was taken from someone's mind and written on a piece of paper. And that's how you take it from your mind, your subconscious, the imaginary world, 
the universal world and bring it into this world is by writing it down. And I hope that opens up or creates some kind of understanding for those who are, who are hesitating because you just got to write it down on a piece of paper saying, this is what we want. If you're, if you're with somebody, someone or this is what I want. If you're with somebody, make sure they're in agreement. You, know, you don't want to be in, in a disagreement of the amount of house, the size of the house, the price of the house. All these things you should discuss and come to some kind of agreement so you can both walk the same path in the right direction. And, uh, and some, it's a little bit difficult to do for some, but really it's not that difficult once it's written on paper. You put it on a sticky, and what I suggest is just putting that in your mirror, in your bathroom, so you see it twice a day, sometimes more, <laughs> depending on what you ate that day. So sometimes more and you see it, you don't have to study it. You just know it's there. Just a quick reminder in the morning, quick reminder before you go to bed of what your purpose is right now and, and what this extra purpose is other than paying your current bills. It gives you this reminder that, Hey, you know what? I, I need to save up a little bit, work a couple extra hours. The uh, overtime shift pops up and you go, yeah, you know what? Why don't we take it? You, you'll be amazed. It's those little things that gets you from A to B. And when you don't have the goal, you're going to just keep declining because there's no reason to do it. You have no reason. Why? Why, why would I take the overtime shift? Eh? Why? Why am I going to take the overtime shift when I don't have to? I can go home and just relax. But if you have a reason that says, hey, you know, I really like the thought of having Christmas gathering of a family in front of a nice fireplace with my own Christmas tree and a big turkey and, and I can invite you know my brother or my sisters and just have a nice family and you know you know the baby is is on its way ah wouldn't that be a beautiful picture isn't isn't that the beautiful picture to have your own house or hold your own barbecue you got a couple friends over drinking a couple beers while you while you're doing a barbecue cooking up some chicken wings some sausages these are the kinds of reasons that you remember and you when that overtime comes or that extra shift comes and you're feeling a little tired you're not really that tired anymore you're like yeah okay i'll take it why not take that money i'll put it into our savings account and this will accelerate your ability to buy your first house create the down payment so much faster than you can ever imagine. So much faster. It's incredible what happened to me and how fast I went from not able to afford a basement apartment. And I'll tell you why. Another thing that just pops into my head right now, the reason why I didn't want to even afford the basement apartment because I didn't want to live in a basement apartment. So I didn't even want to pay for it. It was just painful to pay the rent for that. But as soon as I, I said I want to buy a house and this is my goal and I'm going to change my thought process, all of a sudden I started working more. I started saying yes here. The fear for taking on extra jobs or working extra hours, all of a sudden just made sense. And those are the things that you can do for yourself. So that's your first step on how to save up, right? You can do it. Everybody's done it. Everyone who's owned a house has done it. So that's your first step on how to save up. Uh, your next step is right away, as soon as you set that goal, go to the mortgage broker and find out exactly what you need to earn and get the down payment and any other issues that might arrive to make sure you can do that third step so that's the second step is the mortgage broker and getting pre-approved and like i said if you want us to help you get pre-approved we can help you we can set up an appointment we'll sit down with you we'll put your plan together and like that like magic we'll have you in a house in no time the third move uh, that you want to do is start talking to people about hey partnering up you should really wait till things are aligned when it comes to your down payment so you know you don't want to get a partner who says hey yeah yeah we're ready Wow, that was a great idea. I only have to put 5% down? 
That's amazing. And you're going to team up our income together so we can buy. I love that idea. With 50-50 and you don't have your down payment. <laughs> you're like, whoa, that's being ahead of time. So timing is still important. And now that person goes out and buys it with your cousin. And you're like, well, I just gave you that idea. And then it causes a riff. So don't do that shit. So don't do that, please. Don't do that. Um, <laughs> um, that's just, there There you go. That my, that's my head playing out scenarios of what could happen. So you want to get your down payment. You want to talk to your mortgage broker to see what your numbers are and what you can get. And then if necessary, you want to go to your third step, which is getting a partner who wants to do an investment, but can't do an investment because they can't put the 20% down, but 5% just makes sense to them. And so that teaming up is an incredible, incredible play to getting your first house. So I hope that helps. If you have any more questions, please enter them in. I'd be happy to answer them for you. Give me another question. All right, we got another amazing question from one of our viewers. They're asking me, I have $100,000. Uh, should I go and buy a condo uh, right now? Or should I go and partner up and buy a detached house that has rental income? So the first question I'm going to have is obviously, first and foremost, what's your ability to get the mortgage? So, you know, if you're able to get the mortgage on your own, obviously you would want to try and do things on your own. And so that's always a beautiful feeling to have and own your own first house. If you can't get the mortgage on your own, then 100% partner up. Don't wait till your income tries to increase because that race is a very difficult race to win. Uh, as the property values go up, your income goes up. It seems to tend to offset. Uh, so I would suggest partnering up first and foremost, if your income doesn't match. Now the, you have the income to get a you know six hundred thousand dollar or in this case it's seven hundred thousand dollar maybe a condo or you could partner up and you could buy a million dollar detached house so you're gonna have to weigh some of the pros and cons uh where what location obviously condos are gonna give you a lot more locations downtown down in the core uh along young street uh, they're going to be a little bit more accessible to TCC, that kind of thing. And it detached in the million dollar range, you're going to have to be more out in the suburbs. You're going to have to move more to the north, more reliant on the car and be comfortable with spending more time or at least equal amount of time in traffic uh, when it comes to driving to and from. Uh, so go stations, uh, bus stations, those kind of things, driving to those scenarios, those places are going to be very important. And you got to sort of map up your time to work. One of the biggest wastes of times that I think are the one of the biggest waste of time is traffic, driving to and from work. I can't stand it. I think it's more efficient to sit on a go train and get to work if that's possible, because you can have a laptop, you can work, you can be efficient with your time. Where driving is a brain drain, takes enormous amount of energy, is stressful, and you have to do it every day. So those things have to come into play. Number two, what do you want out of your house? You want a backyard? Do you have a dog? Right now, condos are doing a phenomenal job of building these communities that have rooftop barbecues, theaters built into them, all these other kinds. You know, depending on your location of where you need to be, how, your vicinity to work. If you can relocate your work and move closer out to the suburbs, it's beautiful to own a house. Right now in this market, I think that condo prices have really, really skyrocketed. As in 17, we didn't really see a downturn in the condo market. They seem to have made up all that ground. So I think they might be approaching a plateauing of value. So from a resale value or future value, uh, which one's going to go faster? Obviously, homes under a million are going to have a lot of benefits, but I do think the detached homes are going to increase faster in value. Number one, just because, uh, you know, 
the condo value has gone up so fast uh, and they're going to stagnate and people are going to be putting up a lot of condos right now. One of the things that we saw, for example, Young and Shepherd, if you know they can put up 20, 30 more buildings, it's going to hold the value of that condo because there's so many builders coming out and the supply will offset the demand and which held down the prices in the Young and Shepherd area for almost like six years. I mean, it didn't go up in value for six years from what I remember. Uh, and the detached homes went up skyrocketing. Now they've caught up in value and they've caught up really quick. And when the detached homes and freehold homes started to drop, they started going up. Uh, so, you know, that's where it comes down to. But long-term, you can never go wrong again. You gotta get in. Whether you wanna go further out and get rental income, if that's gonna make you feel more comfortable, um, if you want to go with a condo, you still have to base yourself on maintenance fees. Um, you have to think about things like other condos going up. So those are some of the things that you have. It makes no sense to say, hey, I don't want a, a tenant in your basement because a condo, you're surrounded by tenants. In essence, <laughs> upstairs, left, right, center, across the street, you can't get more compact than in a condo. So for me personally, I like to own land. I like to have a piece of the land. I like to buy older houses that are coming up in new subdivisions that are new subdivisions surrounding it. I've purchased quite a few homes this way or phase one, phase two of a new release from a builder. So you buy the houses that have already been sold resale wise and you buy that house and then, you know, there's three, four and five. The builders are the ones that tend to push the hardest on the prices. They set the trend. You bought an older house and then a new builder comes in and as soon as they're built and they start reselling, it will instantly affect the resale value of your older home, uh, which is incredible. I saw that happen really quickly. I bought a house and I knew this other house. I went and saw the builder. I go, wow, you're charging how much for what lot for this small lot? Meanwhile, the house that was for sale was way cheaper, much bigger lot, much bigger square footage, but older. But once you do renovations, you can match up with that. And as soon as that house got sold and they built it a year and a half, two years later, and it hit the market because, you know, they hit the market right away. It drove up the value of our house to start catching up to the to the new houses. So that's one of the things you can look at as well. So if you have questions, whether you should buy a condo or a detached house, I hope that answered your questions. I really appreciate your time. And if you have any more questions or you want some more details on this answer, please write it down in your comments, hit like, hit subscribe. I'd be happy to answer them. You know, this is a great question uh, that just came in. Should I buy outside of... Toronto or where I live. Listen, Toronto's going up really quickly in value and you need to get into real estate somewhere. Now, what I suggest is 100% don't buy in small towns that are reliant on things like specifically only tourism, only a mine or only like, for example, uh, an industry. Because if that industry gets shut down, that the real estate market there will plummet. And that's what happens a lot. So I, I remember someone who was one of my roommates when I bought my first house. She came from Wawa, uh, the town of Wawa. And the town of Wawa was reliant, unfortunately, on this mine. And this mine shut down. And all of a sudden, all the real everyone was exiting the town because there was no work. And the real estate rate prices plummeted. And unfortunately, you know, a lot of people just walked away from their houses. So just take that into consideration. You want to be in a big city. Why? Because a city is self-reliant. It, it has so many different industries into it. It's almost like a country. A big city is like a country. It's a global economy built into the city. So even if one section of the city, like we saw in the pandemic with tourism dropped, it doesn't devastate the city. 
it, the city seal keeps going, it's able to keep going based on the other, you know, 80, 90% of what it focuses on, whether it's building houses or running stock markets or doing economics or, or doing, uh, you know, trade or whatever it is. You want a city will ha encompass all of that. So that's one of the reasons why I would say, at least if you're going to invest outside of Toronto or outside of the GTA, the GTA still encompasses all of that. But if you're going to go outside of the GTA, make sure it's another city. And so if you're looking into Calgary and the Calgary prices look very attractive, you know, I'm not going to say don't invest. It's no different than saying, you know, you can invest into the stock market, except I think this is way safer because most likely you'll get your return and then maybe in a year or two, you can pull it back in. The only problem with long distance investing is if you are investing and your tenants are not good or you have a problem and they stop paying rent you have to have someone who's going to deal with that for you. So then you're going to probably have to have a property manager or the agent out there and you're going to have to pay them. And that's going to eat away a little bit on your monthly. If you're okay with that, that's great. I prefer because my belief was I live in Toronto, my investments in Toronto, I'm working in Toronto and I want to promote this beautiful city of ours. And I want to see that promotion of the hard work that I do and the investment I'm making in the city to pay off. I would sort of, obviously recommend staying in this city because this is where you are. But if you can't get into anything, which is, I don't think it's impossible that, you know, you have the outskirts of Toronto, that, uh, the GTA that are starting to get swallowed up. Even if like I'm hearing right now, Jackson point is being bought up by builders left, right and center. Uh, so that's going to be a new big boom uh, for building and new construction. So go and look where the new constructions are a new bigger subdivision. I know Stouffville, that's going to get hit with a big 3,000 to 5,000 construction as well going in there. These things are going to drive up the value. You can get into a smaller home for now, and then as soon as you're close to a, a new construction build, it's going to actually drive up the value because the builders do set the tone. In the condo world, it's opposite because they have so many units in such a small place that they can stagnate the prices where detached are still reliant on land. And it's those little chunks of land that continue to go up into value, which is why you can always see the freehold driving up because the land is where the true value lies. At some point, if you buy an older house, you can always tear that one down and build a new house as well. And that's into a lot of people's dreams as well. And that's happening a lot. So I hope that, that answers your question. I would not stop someone from going out, out of town to buy a house for a first-time purchase to try and get some equity and to bring it back in. But I do feel there are some long-distance risks of managing that property, seeing that property. But if you do get that perfect tenant in there, hey, a tenant can stay in there for two years. I know one of our team members owned in Calgary and at Calgary skyrocketed. And then all of a sudden he cashed out a right at the right time and put that money back into Toronto. Uh, he was able to buy, you know, his first house with that money that he got out of, sold his two units out in Calgary and got his money back in. But before he sold it, he actually had to fly out there. The tenant did some damage. He had to fix up that whole place and, and then put it on the market, then sold it in the peak and then brought that money back into Toronto. So, you know, wherever your budget lies, I would still suggest get into real estate. All right. We have another fantastic question from uh, another viewer. So we really appreciate these questions. Just keep coming them on, keep roll, having them roll in. I love these kind of questions. They're, they're really relevant to the real estate world. And the question was, what if I have a job that pays minimum wage? You know, how, how do I make that change? And you, you know, I worked for McDonald's myself and, and I was a lot of tenant at Home Depot. 
you know, I, I, I went out and, and did cut cone knives as sales uh, when I was younger. That didn't really make me any money. It actually cost me money because you got to buy the kit. Uh, there's so many of these things that I, uh, I've tried and done. The reality is the one thing I didn't do is create a reason to earn more income. I didn't have a reason. So why would you, your system, your system, your brain will never create more money than what it needs to. Why would it, right? We're not designed like this. Listen, we're worker bees. 99% of us are worker bees. What does that mean? We're here to do some kind of job, to have some kind of production. We, we don't have millions coming from our parents to start up a business and give us the choice of whatever we want. But, you know, most of us are coming from little to no money or regular income or middle-class income. And even if you're middle out per cast, you, get a, you do get an advantage as you have a little bit more options of what you can choose in life. But most of us are not in that world. We're in this world of where we don't have very much money and we have to work to pay for what we have. But the only reason you continue to stay at that job, that minimum wage job, is because you have no reason to earn more money other than wanting, right? So all you have to do, <laughs> all you have to do is want more. And I mean, you gotta want it. You gotta see yourself in there. And then once you see yourself, it's got to hurt with the fact that you don't have it. And you got to ask yourself, why don't I have it? What am I doing wrong? And then all of a sudden you'll get triggered. You'll all of a sudden feel this urge to like make this little bit of change to where, hey, you know, listen, I used to take the nighttime shift and I realized, well, that, you know, didn't work at the end because you can't maintain those kind of hours. You can't do the daytime shift, the part-time shift and the nighttime shift and stay alive for very long <laughs> without passing out <laughs> or doing something, uh, you know, an accident occurs. So you don't want anything like that. But yeah, working more hours, if you want to quickly double your income, I don't care if you're, if you're, a, if you're working just a nine to five shift, um, it doesn't take much in today's world. There's tons of jobs out there right now with the economy booming to take on an overtime shift after work, but you're not going to do it again unless you have a reason, unless you have a must uh, and you want to get out of the gutter. If you don't and you're happy where you are, then you'll never change. Why would you? You don't need to. So you have to give yourself a reason. It has to be motivating to want to make, to want to work those extra hours and, and you have to see yourself in that house and what it means to you, and you got to attach feelings like, like I said, the turkey dinners, the Christmases, the family gatherings, the barbecues, the, the maybe having a baby in that house, the first child. Maybe you can move your grandparent into that house. They can live you with you, maybe upstairs or in the basement, depending on the size of the house or wherever. There's tons of things that come to an attachment emotionally with a house, and that's where you want to attach. And then your system will say, I really want that. I have to figure out a way to earn a little bit more income to go out there and generate this extra income, whether it's at another job, part-time, it's a weekend. You know, weekends can produce literally 16 hours a week, you know, and then top that off with a few extra hours after every day. You're all of a sudden putting in an extra 20, 30, and you can even do an extra 40 hours. And if you put in an extra 40 hours, it means you're working an 80-hour a week, you can go from whatever your minimum wage or let's say you have a, a, a 25 or a, let's say you have a $35,000 job by just 
going from a 40-hour work shift to an 80-hour work shift, which mean, may sound like ridiculous to you, but you instantly just doubled your income. You just went from 30, 35, 40 to 60, 70, or $80,000 a year. And tell me, you can't save off enough money over the next two years and qualify for a higher mortgage if you did that. Of course you could. So the easiest route, if you said, oh, I can't get another job anywhere else. Oh, I can't, I can't, uh, I can't uh, make any more money anywhere else. Well, then just work more hours at the job you're at. And you'll double up your income. That's the fastest and easiest way to, and that's what I did. That was my first step. I just put in more hours and I doubled up my income. It was crazy. And then after that, you know, I'm realizing, well, I need to earn a little bit more. Where can I go? to earn with my experience now because now my experience level has doubled up quickly. So now I've doubled up my experience level. So instead of one year experience, because I worked 80 hour shifts in, in a week, I now had two years experience in one year. Now I deserve, and this is real, you now can basically say I have two years experience based on a 40 hour work shift in, in, in whatever field is, and you should get a pay raise off of that. You do that a couple of years, you'll realize you'll be in from where you are today, A position, you'll be at B, C, or even D before you even know a blink of an eye. And you all know how fast a year goes by and two years go by. It's flying. I don't know how a week's just, I'm waking up and I feel like it's all of a sudden the week went by. And I'm like, wow, how did that just happen? Well, you got to get more stuff done in a, in a day. You have to be more effective in a day. And you can find that you know, the job that you're doing, if you really tried, you could probably pack it into two or three hours and you can free up time that way. Hey, maybe the lunch that you're taking, here's another one. You want to free up some extra time and then put it into income producing time. Maybe the lunch you're taking is too long. The hour lunch, I down a shake in five minutes. That's 360 hours in a year. Hey, I don't do the dinner thing where I sit down, cook dinner for an hour, then eat dinner for an hour. That's two hours. Hey, that's 700 hours sitting right there just like that if i do a quick dinner whatever it is pre-made whatever it is i don't want to talk about fast food because it's unhealthy but you can get nowadays where you can put something in the air fryer i love those air fryers that we now own and and you can cook up a meal in 15 minutes and you can save yourself there's another you know 500 hours in a year hey your breakfast what are you doing for breakfast you know are you taking the time are you sitting down you scrambling up your own eggs hey most people who are stuck in a, in a in a in a in a set job don't free up the time you can create time someone just asked me today well oh hans how am i going to do all this stuff groceries the kids i go you know do you know there's things called apps and and you know on those apps they have these things called grocery stores and do you know how fast it is for me to reorder my groceries i do the groceries at our house believe it or not you know why cuz i go to the app I click on the button and I click reorder and I've reordered the exact groceries I did from last week, this week. I quickly go through to make sure anything adjustment on the amount of orders. I can do groceries in less than 15 minutes. If I really want to, five minutes. But let's say 15 minutes because I like to go through, see if there's anything I'm going to add, anything I'm going to remove. 15 minutes, I didn't have to drive to the grocery store. I didn't have to pick up groceries. I didn't have to carry them from the car into the house. They dropped them right there at your front door. Done. It's amazing. You want to save yourself three hours a, a week? There you go. You know, so can you do it? Can you create time in today's world? 
And I just showed you a whole bunch of techniques that could help you. And you could use those times. Don't don't sit around then and, you know, hey, you know, I'm going to have an extra beer because of that. Or I'm going to go, you know, go just watch another movie. Oh, that gives me an opportunity to watch another movie this week. No. Make that an income-producing time. So the three hours that you just saved from grocery shopping, say, hey, I'm going to take a part-time shift doing three hours doing this instead. It, it only makes sense, no? So if you really want to get yourself out of the gutter, that's what I did. I worked more hours. I find it, found, found way to find it. I found ways to create time by cutting out my lunch hours, cutting out my extended dinner times, and cutting out uh, groceries, laundry. Do you know there's a laundry service? They come to your house and pick up your laundry. And do your laundry, fold it, and deliver it back to you uh, for a ridiculous price. It's incredible. Uh, so, I mean, those are some of the things that you can do uh, to try and save time. I'm just trying to name, name a, a, as many as I can uh, to help you create more income, which means you have to create more time, free up your time so you can create income, so you can then start increasing the amount of money you can save. And that's the thing. What will happen is, and a lot of you guys won't do this because you have no reason to, but if you have a reason to, or let's say you just went out and did this, but you don't have a reason of where that money is going to, you're going to spend it on stupid stuff. And what's stupid stuff? Upgrading your car, you know, buying some kind of toys, uh, like ATVs or, or snowmobiles. You're going to go out on a, on a, you're going to increase the vacation. I consider those bonuses and perks of achievement that you should achieve after you've bought your first house. That's what I say. Because the only way out of this rat race for people like me and you, the 99 percenters who are trying to get out of this rat race, is to buy as much real estate as possible. Well, I really hope that answers your question. Thanks a lot for asking. I really appreciate it. Thank you to all the viewers out there. Please keep your keep your questions coming in. I hope you like these answers, and I'm happy to do this on a regular basis. I really look forward to it. Thanks a lot. Have a great day.